Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm not very good with stuff like this. Is there anything that I need to do? Just shout. Oh, just talk really loud. Like just it. talk louder, yeah, basically. Okay. I'll be gobby, that's absolutely fine. You just need to be from Manchester. Well, thank <laughs> God I am that, hey. <laughs> uh, okay, we, Angelina's got some pretty important work to do, so we'll have to do this. We'll have to be pretty sharpish about this. Um, should we just, we'll just crack on then, yeah? We all know what to do, don't we? At this stage. Yeah, at this yes. stage. We've, we've done it before. Okay. Uh, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football podcast is Porig Whelan. Hello. And podcast debutante stroke YouTube star, Angelina Kelly. Hello. Angelina, have you got to the point where people are stopping you in the street and asking you for selfies? Oh, no. no. <laughs> okay. Definitely not. So, some Instagram DMs, that's about it. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But because I think it's Nico. I don't know about Matt, but Nico certainly gets stopped in the street. Yeah, I think he said something about people are figuring out where he lives, which sounds a little <gasps> bit worrying. Um, but luckily, obviously, I've not been in Berlin too long, so I've I've not got to that level of stardom. Just give us your address there. <laughs> <laughs> Boring. Anybody stopping you in the street anytime recently? No. Uh, not for being famous, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there for, are the reasons for breaking the law, maybe <laughs> jaywalking. Uh, so by now you should know there are two one football podcasts uh, Monday's venture into you know bacon sausage eggs black pudding baked beans and the Premier League with Dan Burke and Thursday's venture into croissants orange juice grapes and all things European with myself the address remains the same if you want to get in touch send over any questions that's podcast at onefootball.com uh, we're going to get into the Champions League in a minute but I want to kick off today's uh, podcast with a question from Asmith who says hey uh, I wanted to ask you about the new Super League Bartomeu has stated before resigning here's what he said I can announce some extraordinary news yesterday we accepted a proposal to participate in a future European Super League which would guarantee the financial sustainability of the club and we have we have accepted future um, World Club World Cup formats can you please explain this to me thank you I'm a daily listener to your podcast love it loads and keep grinding keep grinding that's my new that's my new phrase I'm going to stick with that uh, but uh, who can uh, who can explain what this Super League idea it is and what it would entail who wants to go for it I mean, I can give it a go. We've talked about it on on the channel. Um, I think, again, I could be very, very wrong. So it's something about like the main leaders of European clubs wanting something new, wanting some money probably. And it's, I think, around like 18 or 19 of the big clubs. I think Liverpool and United have been approached. Um, but it's looking like the likes of City, Real Madrid, Bayern, etc. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, they would still be playing in their domestic leagues, but they wouldn't be playing in the Champions League anymore. Oh, is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like FIFA's replacement for the Champions League. And it'd be played like a normal league and then you have like a playoff kind of knockout tournament at the end. And I'm guessing, is there promotion or relegation or do we know anything about that? I've heard no relegation, but I'm not too sure. Boring. This, yeah. this is a terrible idea, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't really like it either. Because it's also, I, don't, I think, like Andrew said, it's not just Champions League and Europa League that gets impacted, but it probably means the end of like pretty much domestic 
cups in all those countries as well. Mm. Um, on top of that, I know a lot of people probably want the the EFL Cup gone in England anyway, but probably means like no more FA Cup, no more Copa del Rey in Spain, no more Copa. So it's like got a knock-on effect on on quite a lot of competitions. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan, but it's uh it's probably one of those things that it's going to be a reality sooner or later, though. Oh, you think it's inevitable? <sighs> kind of, yeah. Just, just the way that I think if all these big clubs, all these powerful clubs are, are involved, and I think there was a report in Spain as well that said they've already pretty much um, got the go-ahead for funding from a major, I think it's JP Morgan Bank. Yeah. So if they're, if they're already kind of... Um, setting up the funding for it and Barcelona are talking about how they've accepted an invitation and I think Real Madrid are are with them in that and they're really um, they're really pushing it forward and kind of in cahoots with Barcelona to, to set up it seems like it's, it's one of those things whether or not it comes in in like 2022 I think like they're talking about or a bit later but yeah unfortunately I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be coming soon enough Angelina are you a fan of this idea or not? I am not a fan at all. I just feel like that you look forward to, you know, PSG playing Bayern or Liverpool playing Real Madrid. And I just think it's going to ruin it a little bit um, because we're going to see it every single year. And it's going to get a little bit boring, I think. I think the best thing about the Champions League is that you, you don't know who's going to end up playing who. And I think, yeah, I just I, I just don't like the idea at all. And... It takes me a minute to get my head around, you know, a new tournament and then what's going to happen with the Champions League? Is that still going to be a thing, like another Europa League or are they just going to scrap it all together? It's just too much change. I don't like change. I'm happy with the way things are (laughs) and they need to just leave it that way. But like I say, I think my main issue with it is that you're... Yeah, like, you you look forward to the Champions League and are they going to have the same music as the Champions League? Because what they're going to do about that, do you know what I mean? There's little things here that they've not considered. (laughs) This sounds like a conversation with Carl Pilkington. (laughs) Doesn't like change. What are these little small things? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you. I just, I think it could lead to the end of domestic football. And for me, domestic football is the most fun because you've got everybody hating each other over, you know, small little things and you got all the history and everything there so yeah, yeah pretty terrible okay uh, so speaking of Barcelona uh, Porig you watched this last night it looked like they played with a bit more pep in their step I'm, I'm not quite sure what the reason for that could be yeah, uh, exactly. yeah it, it seemed a bit odd uh, were you were you impressed with their 2-0 their win over Juve yeah I thought they were I thought they were okay I thought they were helped by like Juve not being very good at all but um, yeah you're right it did seem like they were just there was that bit more freedom about them and Messi seemed to be playing like with a bit more of a smile on his face and kind of yeah they just looked they looked like it was one of their better performances or even maybe their best performance uh, under Koeman and you know they had a lot of defensive uh, problems going into it and they ended up playing Frankie de Jong at centre back in the second half as well and still Still uh, managed to, to see it out quite comfortably, although I think big uh, big Alvaro Morata certainly didn't um, help Juve much. Oh. I think that's the first time I've ever, I can ever remember seeing a player score three times and have all three ruled out for offside. 
Because I think I saw someone say as well, it was like, imagine if uh, VAR had been around when people in Zaggy were playing. Imagine, <laughs> imagine how few goals people in Zaggy would have scored in his career. Um, what did you make of De Jong at centre-back? Because <clears throat> normally I would have thought Busquets would have been the man to, to step into that role. But yeah, De, Jong, exactly. De Jong seemed to handle yeah. it quite well. Yeah, when he came on at half-time, you just kind of naturally expected because he's the more defensive uh, one of the two. But I think De Jong's that good. He's one of those players like he's so intelligent that he could probably play anywhere and be quite decent at it. But to look as comfortable as he did in like a Champions League game uh, against whatever about they had no Ronaldo but Dybala and Morata still quite a dangerous front too. So he dealt, yeah, he dealt with that really well. Um, and you, uh, yeah, I mean, just going back to Murata for a second. In your piece on it, you uh, you said he was the unluckiest striker in the world. He might well be. <laughs> yeah, he's. Oh, you know what? He's just one of those strikers. Anytime, like if I somebody mentions him, like the image you get in your head is just him sitting on the ground and looking forlorn about a missed chance, and he, he just seems like he's he's always. Down in the dumps. It was like that's the abiding memory. I think Chelsea fans would definitely have him. Yeah, but it just always seems like things just aren't going his way at all. And apparently, it's not the first time it's happened. I think I think Marca said last night after game in a game against Las Palmas before he actually had three goals disallowed for offside in that game as well. Who, Murata? Yeah, apparently so. Oh, apparently what? so. That's what Marca were saying, so... Yeah, yeah, and I, I, mean, I think we can trust what Marca said. Yeah, especially when it comes to like a, a Madrid-based player, so yeah. Um, he really is. I mean, if anyone can think of anyone that's unluckier than him, I'd, I'm all ears. Um, any other talking points from the match at all? Not, not really. I don't. I think that was that was just Juve being being quite bad. We we might talk a little bit more about Juve later. Yeah. Um, who, uh, you know, Barcelona's best buddies were also playing Real Madrid. Yeah. Another poor showing in the Champions League. It, Angelina, did you see this or Porig? Did you see this? And, and what did you make of it? I didn't see this, but I just think it's. It's, it is a little bit worrying. You can imagine that the, the men in the suits at Real Madrid are absolutely having a mare. Like, you can imagine the meetings that are going on because they seem to think that, I don't know, they have some special right in the Premier League, cause, not the Premier League, the Champions League even, because they've won it so many times. It's just like they have some kind of entitlement and when things aren't going their way and they aren't playing how they should be playing... It's it just ends up being a meltdown, so I'm a bit worried to be honest. Would you be worried for Zinedine Zidane and his his job security? I mean, if any club would sack somebody that has won them like eleven <laughs> trophies <laughs> and you know like three back to back Champions League, it's Real Madrid. I mean, on paper you would just think, no, this is crazy. Why would you sack him? But. Real Madrid fans and Real Madrid culture, I I could see them getting rid of him. I'm not saying it's the right decision, but I could see it happening. Okay. Uh, the match has been somewhat overshadowed by these Benzema comments that came out afterwards, uh, where he, uh, allegedly talking about Vinicius Jr., where he says, uh, brother, don't pass to him. Um, on my mother's life, he's playing against us. Poor Rick, that's that's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I don't know if it was just me. Like, I thought it was quite... Um a little bit like overblown I think it was just like maybe one of those half time frustration things and he's just getting annoyed and just wants to vent about someone like I'm sure if uh, 
if cameras picked up a lot more of this, there's probably a lot worse gets said. Um, even probably in that game or in the Classico at the weekend, there was probably a lot worse said. Although that's it, it is quite interesting that Benzema didn't actually pass Vinicius the ball then in the second half once. Oh, he did? No, ah. no, he didn't. No, he, didn't. <laughs> he passed it to him, I think, three times in the first half and then didn't actually pass him it. That's Although it, I think uh, Mendy didn't actually follow his advice though because Mendy passed him the ball, I think, three times oh. in the second half. But yeah, so okay. But uh, I have to think. I I'm also with you on this. I think it is a little bit overblown. I have to think that this happens all the time. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's just that this happened to just be picked up. I don't exactly. Think yeah, don't I don't think it's up. a don't think it's a major thing or that there's any kind of breakdown in the partnership. But you know, like Angelina was saying as well, like this is Real Madrid and any slight thing. This might be the kind of thing that if it had happened the other way around and it was a Gladbach player complaining about someone it's maybe nothing much gets made of it but because it's Real Madrid and it's Benzema then it's it becomes a lot bigger than yeah than actually it really is Did you see this one Borg? I did yes. what, what did you make of, of Gladbach and, and Taram who was stealing all the headlines? Yeah it was good considering uh, the week before he had to he had to Google himself, remember at San Siro? Oh, so that yeah, the, that's true to so get in. The security guy would yeah, let him into the stadium. So hopefully he won't have to be Googling himself much <laughs> anymore because that is a. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was really good. I mean, the first goal was um, was really impressive, like the way he took that first time. And then I think the second one, he has uh, Mendy to thank for just completely switching off and not racing out from the back to try play him offside. But yeah, they probably should have they should have won that. I think it was just two two really like deep crosses to the far post for both Real Madrid goals and they didn't deal with either one of them. And uh, yeah, big Casemiro saving the day yeah it's a sign of the times when you're relying on Casemiro to to save the day for you Um, Angelina you watched uh, Man City take apart Marseille Uh, City obviously coming in for a lot of criticism this season you think this will silence all those nasty people for a while not nasty I mean City deserve a bit of criticism here in the first no I'm only joking I'm not joking Um, I think um you, they're going to come under criticism um, and I just feel like the fact that they're managing to perform well with this Aguero-Jesus situation, the defence is better but you can't necessarily say it's 100% solid and like they've been playing together for ages and they know each other dead well. I think you do have to take your hat off to them. It's not been great in the Premier League but I guess you could argue that maybe they're focusing more on the Champions League to... I don't know, to kind of get this group stage kind of out of the way early, get some good results in. Um, so, yeah, it'll silence people for a little bit, but not for too long. What did you make of Ferran Torres and his performance? I thought it was really impressive and that that pains me as a Manchester United fan. I hate, having, I hate having to give them praise. I am bitter and I'll be honest about it. Um, I was surprised to see him kind of leading the line. I actually thought maybe Sterling might be the man for that. Um, but I, I think he was brilliant. I think... 
Um, having somebody fast like him playing uh, as a number nine, I think it stretched the play a little bit. Um, I think it gave De Bruyne a little bit more room. And, you know, it's an unfamiliar position. He's not been at the club that long. To go out and do such a good job, you know, round of applause for him, I think. Mm, Even if Marseille were pretty poor. Yeah, but still, you know, you've got to credit where credit's due. He did all right. It wasn't an absolute mare. So, I mean, yeah, they were pretty terrible, to be fair. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You also upped your hipster points by keeping an eye on Ajax uh, against Atalanta. Do you feel uh, suitably cool for doing so? I feel so hipster right now. Because the hipster (laughs) vibes are just unreal. (laughs) I I think it, it was a great game for a neutral, I'll be honest. Oh, four goals, two goal comeback. Yeah, all about that. 100%. Um, I was expecting a lot of confidence from Ajax with that 13-0 win, <laughs> which is just insane. Um, and they did get off to a, a great start. Um, but yeah, it was it was just really great. And I think watching um, Anthony, the winger at Ajax, he was just brilliant. He, I mean, it was a shame that he, he went off with a knee injury, I think. But he was just tearing it up. Um, his cheeky little nutmeg to one of the Atalanta players. And he was just flicking the ball over people's heads. He was having a good old time. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really good game to watch. Um, like I say, uh, both sides had chances to win the game late on. Um, but neither really managed to do it. Like I say, I've got not really got a horse in that race. So it was, yeah, really entertaining. Uh, Lassina Triori is quite, is quite interesting. He obviously got five goals uh, at the weekend. Um, and his cousin is Aston Villa's uh, Bernard, uh, Bertrand Triori. It's quite nice. Oh, keeping yeah. the family. And yeah. uh, his mum was the captain of Burkina Faso's national team. This is some excellent trivia. Isn't it? I've got more. Hold on. Uh, He says, I always thought she was the best player in the country, a true number 10, technically gifted and creative. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. That's a pretty cool one. Would you uh, imagine that Ajax are out of the Champions League at this stage? Maybe. It's going to be hard from this point on. Yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. Um, I, I mean, it's not completely over maybe see what happens next week but I think it could be curtains I see Liverpool and Atalanta going through to be honest I mean at the end of the day as much as it was an entertaining game they failed to hold on to that 2-0 lead they gave it away Um, so yeah I I, I can't see them getting through something big would have to happen Okay, Uh, we have another question from a listener this time it's uh, Carlos Lopez who says hello hope everybody is well and safe I have no idea what to make of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer anymore he'll get battered by Crystal Palace and barely squeaked by Brighton and the sacking the sacking talk starts up but he can also beat semi-finalists and finalists of last season's Champions League is he actually a good manager? Is he or is he getting ridiculously lucky? What is it? Because I don't know anymore. Well, Angelina, <laughs> nice, easy, yeah, Angelina. This is a nice, easy one for you. What's up with Ole? Is he lucky? Is he a good oh. manager? What's going on? Because that five nil over the Bundesliga leaders is, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Light work that, yeah, it's alright. Um, <laughs> no, um, I just, I am very much. I know a lot of people are Ollie out. Um, I am more pro Ollie just because I feel like creating more drama this season and getting rid of him in the middle of the season is just going to cause more hassle. I think we've got to give him this season to see what happens, and then take it from there. Um, it is, it's very bizarre. 
I, I'm not going to deny that. I think there are certain aspects where he is a very good manager. I think tactically there are issues. I mean, last night he did get it right. Um, but then I think with teams that play differently, he struggles and it's just... It's, it is, it's just confusing. I don't know if I'm coming or going. One minute I'm like on the verge of depression with Manchester United, then I'm celebrating last night. It's, but I, I just feel like he, one of the big things for me with Ole that I kind of took my hat off to him a little bit was he's managed to create a lot of peace within the team. Um, There's a lot, to be said, a lot to be said for that, though. I, I think the fact that he managed whatever was going on with Pogba and Mourinho and this drama and he's leaving and he's staying and he's doing whatever he's doing, whatever Solskjaer has done, I'm not saying Pogba's 100% happy because I don't think Pogba's ever 100% happy, but he's managed to calm things down with all of that drama. And that, for me, was a big plus. I think the way that he protects the players... I think he's really good. I, you know, there were so many times when Mourinho would throw players under the bus in front of the media, which I can understand sometimes. Sometimes a player's not playing well, you've got to speak your mind. But with the media in England being what it is sometimes, that's maybe not the best route. And I just think his care for the club and the players is great. But at the same time, people can argue that care for players is not going to win you a title. So it's a tough one. But why can they why can they beat PSG and hammer Leipzig and then just have seven points from five games in the league? That I don't understand. Yeah, I mean it's because it's not like they're prioritizing the Champions League. No, I just I feel like there's less pressure with the Champions League because when that draw was made, everybody laughed United out of the competition. It was like, they're going to finish bottom. There is no way that they're going to be able to get a win in this uh, this group. And I just feel like there's, there's a, a lot less pressure. I think in the Premier League, there is so much pressure on Ali. There's pressure on a lot of the teams, um, but I think one part of it does just come down to pressure for me. Um, mm. I think if you're playing... Yeah, there is going to be, I guess there is going to be pressure when you play in PSG, but when nobody really expects anything of you, um, I think maybe it's a little bit easier for them. I don't know. Okay. Um, it's easy when you have a Marcus Rashford in that sort of form. He's yes. not He's not bad, is he? Lord Marcus. Uh, Our saviour Marcus. He... Saint Marcus. <laughs> all, of, all of that. Uh, so he comes off the bench, he scores a hat-trick in you know 20 seconds. That's a pretty impressive performance, right? Amazing, absolutely amazing. I'm I'm buzzing for him. He is just the nicest guy in the world at the minute, isn't he? I mean, all the stuff he's doing off the pitch, then come on. I think to come on as a sub like that, because I think there was a stat, wasn't there, that the last United player that came on as a sub and got a hat-trick was actually Solskjaer. Mm, yeah. um, was it, was that against Ipswich or someone like that? It was Nottingham Forest ah, in 99. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that was really nice but yeah he's, he's just absolutely amazing I mean I think he said in his interview afterwards he did that you know the manager told him to up the tempo and that's exactly what he did um, also props to him even though the flag went up when he received the ball in his own half you know he carried on and he finished that one I thought it was great um, he just he's just fantastic I can't even like describe him he's just absolutely amazing the vibe that he brings to the club the energy that he brings his talent his skill um, it's just non-stop and it's just so great to see somebody you know come through the ranks at Manchester United a local lad that just wants to do well and he's just 
he's just living the dream, isn't he? Something tells me you're a fan of Marcus Rashford. I can't, no. Not quite, I can't quite figure it out. What is to it? be fair, Ian, who isn't? Who, who is isn't? it? That is if, true. If, I am... if you don't like Marcus Rashford, you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror, whoever's listening, because, like I, I say, he's the Lord and Saviour right now, and that's it. <laughs> I think Man United have just tweeted that as well. They've literally just tweeted a tweet. Comment on this tweet if you don't absolutely love Marcus Rashford. <laughs> It has zero replies. So, wow. There we go. Um, What impresses me most about Rashford is, well, his finishing, I know his finishing is pretty good, but his finishing last night looked supremely clinical, which, you know, to come off the bench and to be that alert and to be able to do that is brilliant. But the fact that he can also do this uh, you know, along with his side hustle of just, you know, feeding the, you know, feeding all the children. Uh, the fact that he combines both of these is just amazing. And it's a real two fingers to anybody who ever says, hey, you know, you do sports, just stick to sports. Yeah. Oh, it's just such bollocks that. But anyway, yes, Marcus Rashford, amazing fellow. We're all big fans. Uh, Porig or Angelina, any other talking points you want to mention from the Champions League over the last two, the last two days? Um, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Neymar got injured, didn't I? Ah, um, that's that's his that's annual disney. injury. His annual injury. Yeah, 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 it's about six months early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless his sisters moved her birthday. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Other than that, then there's pretty not much to talk about. Uh, we, we'll move on. Talk a little bit about Serie A now that we have you here, Porik. A, a nice, easy question to get you going: Is this going to be the best Serie A season we've had in the last ten years? Yes. Oh, okay. That was pretty easy then. Yeah. <laughs> um, the big game was obviously Monday night. Um, we Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, considering that I didn't think either team really played um, as well as they can and as good as they did. And the, the referee turned what was, for a lot of it, was a quite a good game into an absolute... Disaster oh. kind of made it that little bit more entertaining as well. So yeah, I really, uh, really enjoyed that. Actually. The it must be two of the worst penalty decisions I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the yeah the second one is the one that he gave Milan a th- about five minutes after. I think that's that is the dictionary definition of evening it up. I think where he must know or he's gotten word or realised himself that. He's made a mistake with the first one and yeah, he's just given... Because basically the Roma one, he gives Roma a penalty for... I think Pedro actually stamps down on it. Mm-hmm. I think it's Kier. And then the Milan one, Chalinoglu doesn't really get... I don't know if there's any contact really with him. Or maybe there's a slight bit and he just kind of takes a little tumble moving away from goal. Mancini's not done anything wrong apart from just stand his ground and try to shield him away from goal when he's given it so and it wasn't even that it was just there was a lot of other like little decisions as well kind of throughout it like he booked Latan when he maybe could have argued that Latan should have had a penalty he just kept booking other players kind of lost all control of it for about the last 20 minutes so yeah, disastrous stuff from him. From him, but um, one of the one of the better players on show was um, Leao, the the sort of yeah. marauding marauding on the left flank. There, you know a little bit about him, but maybe other other people don't. So maybe you could just fill in some blanks for people here. Yes, it's kind of like this is the first season. It seems like he's really gonna get a good run in the team. They obviously signed him last summer, but he was kind of. 
in and out of the team a bit for like one reason or another but now it seems like Pioli's actually going to going to give him that that run on the left flank because that's probably he's never going to if they're going to play one up top he's never going to play through the middle even though I think he's quite capable of it and he played there when Ibrahimovic was out with when he'd caught Corona so I mean he can do that as well which handy but he looks like a real threat kind of when he's down that left flank he's really fast like his movement's dangerous he's always kind of coming in at the back post and then he's helped I think by having Teo Hernandez behind him who's arguably like the best attacking left back in the world I know Alfonso Davies kind of have something to say about that maybe but he's he's really really impressive since he moved there so yeah it's a it's a dangerous left hand side they've got which is a shame because their right right hand side not so good but <laughs> when the when the left is that good then they'll cause a lot of teams problems you'd imagine Milan can't wait to have Donnarumma back Oh, I know. Oh, that's they, they. I think they would have won that game if if he. You know, they definitely would have won it if he was available. I mean, that first goal. I don't know why Tatarasan is going for that. He's got no right really to get there. And then, yeah, it's one of the worst goalkeeping mistakes I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, it's what is it? It's like twelve minutes into his debut. I don't know if it's just early. I'll go get this cross or I'll catch it I'll punch it clear I really want to impress and he's done exactly the opposite and probably done his chances of playing again a lot of harm after that one <laughs> yeah they can't get him back quick enough um, Talk to us about Milan uh, because uh, before the season they wanted a new manager they didn't get it they have uh, Pioli and who now has them top of the table five wins from four games um, how's he doing it? It just seems amazing because there wasn't there wasn't this sense that something like this was going to happen before this season. Yeah, they, well, they kind of it was kind of pretty much like in twenty twenty they've they've been really I think they've picked up more points than anybody else in Serie A, but that was also obviously with like last season taken into account and all the the weirdness that came with that and the games in empty stadiums. So yeah, you kind of did wonder if it was going to be like just a flash in the pan or if there actually is something more but there clearly is I mean the the changes that they've made like off the park as well with like Gazidis coming in a few years ago bringing Maldini back then they got rid of Boban so they've it's been like they've kind of the building blocks have been in place for it for a few years and now you're kind of seeing it all come to fruition but then the big uh uncertainty of it like you were saying is was Pioli and it seemed like it was the worst kept secret in football that they were going to sack him before this season started or get rid of him and bring in Ralph Rangnick and then because they'd started building up so much momentum they, they decided to to keep to keep it going and it's you know like I think they deserve a lot of credit for that because it'd be quite easy to just stick to the plan regardless of, of the results that are in front of you and just go, well, we had our mind made up that this is the way it was going to be, but they've actually they've shown a lot of uh, a lot of bravery, I think, even in just sticking with them and not making the decision that they had set out for a while. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's really paying off for them. And I think it's great for Serie A as well. I mean, I know they're, they're not in the Champions League, but hopefully it's not long before they get back there because I think Serie A as cheesy or whatever as it's it but it does it's always more exciting when you have 
both Milan clubs, but particularly I think AC Milan um, doing well and fighting for for major honours. How reliant are they on Ibra? Who were yeah, <laughs> 39 and who was banging in goals obviously for Man United a couple of seasons ago uh, is, is still doing amazing in Serie A. Yeah, it's like... They are, they are. That's that is the that's the big. Uh, might cause them to come unstuck. You'd think because I don't think that he'll slow down. To be honest, the way he's playing and he looks as dangerous as ever. He looks like as fit as it. He's still that big a threat. Defenses are still absolutely petrified of him. Um, he doesn't look like a guy who's thirty nine. Like if you didn't know his age, then I think yeah, you would you would be having no real concerns with it. But it's not so much him it's the the backup I think behind him like mm. Milan's attack without him is a it's a big pro like Colombo and Maldini I'd, I'd, like if his surname wasn't Maldini as well I'm still not really convinced by him to be honest <laughs> so if he if he does go down with like any kind of injury or well, I don't think he'll catch Corona again. He, he seems to have killed it, according to himself. Yeah, <laughs> Corona's too afraid of Zlatan. Yeah, he's yeah. too afraid to come back for a, a second bite. So, okay. Um, how is uh, Sandro Tonali getting on? Uh, not, not too well so far. He's not really played a whole lot. I think he's only started three games, and the three games he started, he, he didn't really, didn't really do that well. Um, I wasn't. Overly impressive. Like he played, he started the. I think they beat Spezia at home a few weeks ago. He played an hour in that one. wasn't great. They beat Celtic last week. It's the first time he played ninety minutes, and again, he he wasn't really that good. And to be honest, for all the excitement and stuff around him, I I don't think that there's a place for him in that midfield just now. I don't see how uh, Ben Asser or Kessie would or even like should be taken out of the midfield to accommodate him which is a shame because he's clearly like a massive talent I think a lot of people want to see him do well but yeah maybe maybe he picked picked the wrong side of the city when he was choosing this summer so you wouldn't expect him because this is interesting because he's seen as like if not the hope of Italian football but certainly he was he was yeah. he was bigged up but you don't see him getting into this side anytime soon not 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 for now yeah just not for now not the way Pioli's playing he seems to kind of only be relying on him in games where like he, the only games he started are like Crotone uh, Spezia and unfortunately Celtic which is clearly three games where he thinks you know that he can shake things up and they'll win them and they did win all three of them so yeah he kind of kind of don't see that he's in Pioli's plans at the minute and he's not done a lot either I don't think in those games he's not been don't get me wrong he's not been terrible or, or really poor at it. He's just doesn't seem to have done enough to to convince like Pioli or even fans I don't think that um, ben Acer or Kessie should be taken out of that midfield OK um, Milan obviously top of the table 13 points 2 points behind them Sassuolo where, oh, yes. where did that come from? Yeah what a team what a team inform the people because not everybody has not everybody has time to watch uh, Sassuolo play well weekends. now they should this is, this, is my, <laughs> this is my plea to the world because like everybody we obviously know like and Angelino was talking about it earlier as well about Atalanta and how much the world 
has fallen in love with them and how amazing they are and the greatest attacking team since Pep Guardiola at Barcelona the first time. But I think Sassuolo are they're not quite at Atalanta's level yet. They probably just don't have as many talented players, but they are every bit as like exciting and entertaining and enjoyable to watch as Sassuolo as Atalanta, sorry. Mm. Like they are just so fun and their coach um De Serbi he wasn't he wasn't really anything um particularly special I think the best time of his career was he played in a quite a poor Napoli team and did stand out like he was a quite a nice number ten and fun to watch. But he's since he moved into coaching he's still really like young, like he's only forty one and it's like his second goal in Syria that a few years ago he was at Benevento and they were first in Syria and they were, it was a really bad team he had but he still committed to playing this really attacking football and obviously they got relegated in the end but he did enough even in relegation to convince Sassuolo that you know, they should take the gamble on him so if anyone wants a Syria team who's not at it to get to get ahead on the hipster train, maybe mm-hmm. you know to be. <laughs> this is Angel. This is yeah. pure Angelina territory. I've been right taking here. <laughs> in, a, in a few years, when they're when they're back in the back in the Europa League, or or even the Champions League, who knows? And um, yeah, we can we can get ahead because they are just so so far. And it's without like it's crazy that Berardi's like still there, and even now he just seems to be almost like an afterthought in this team. So when you make the guy that five, six years ago was supposed to be the, the superstar to not just for them but like Italian football and mm. he's just just another like, kind of like cog in the machine there it's yeah they're, they're really really fun and they play Napoli this weekend which is second against third which yeah. sh- should be a decent game there you go Angelina there's your 6pm Sunday that's <laughs> that's your uh, weekend so sorted <laughs> um, shall we dare we mention Torino Porg? Oh no, they're not no. not good. It's not uh, not okay. good. I'm not worried too worried yet for them, but I think it's the same as like uh like I said about Milan and Zlatan. I think Bellotti's one of those with Torino that I think if he if he gets injured or picks up Corona or is just out for any length of time, there yeah, I think Torino are in really, really big trouble because I like I was quite excited when Gianpaolo got the job. I thought he was really harshly treated at Milan last year, but uh, yeah, it's just it's not not clicked so far. And they was it three one up with six minutes to go against Sassuolo. They should be seeing that out. So when you're kind of not seeing things like that out, easier said than done. Granted, against Sassuolo, but. Yeah, it's it's time to worry already. I think it really is. Yeah, one point from four games. Uh, yeah. The uh, I, I I watched the Ses, the Sassuolo Torino, or at least the highlights I watched. The, did you did you manage to watch it though? I it, <laughs> you were just about because yeah. there was the, the dense fog, uh, but at, 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 they looked so happy at three one up. Yeah, yeah, and even, but yeah, that's one of those that I think that goes against you when you're at the bottom of the table, like the that Kirikes goal where a centre back picks it up thirty yards from goal, decides to have a go, and it just yeah flies into the top corner. I mean, if the roles are reversed, then that's uh that's Armando Ito taking it on for Torino from thirty yards. I don't see it flying into the top corner. <laughs> such is life when you're struggling down the bottom of the table. 
So, in this newish part of the podcast, we get a fan to geek out about their club. Last time around, it was Nico Hamer on Eintracht Frankfurt. This time around, it's another podcast debutante in the shape of Marcus Montero. Oh, hello, Ian. It's yeah. very nice to be here. That's the, that's the bit where you're meant to say hello, Marcus. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now, if there's one thing you need to know about Marcus, uh, it's that he's the type of guy who cycles his bike on the Autobahn. Uh, yeah, it happened only once. And I promised the authorities I would not do it again. <laughs> and I've just learned he got arrested in Africa. And he's about to reveal to us why he got arrested in Africa. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's a one-time thing as well. Uh, it happened in 2013. I was traveling to Ivory Coast to do some volunteer work. I just forgot to take the visa. It's like, mm. come on, not such a big deal. Then I got... Um, I wouldn't say arrested. It sounds bad in English. In Portuguese, you can say this word with many meanings. Okay. But in English, I think arrested is not what actually happened because I didn't go to jail. Also because I bribed the cops, so they let me go free. <laughs> Sorry, what? You bribed the cops? Yeah, that's how we roll. Yeah, that, that happened. I'm interested to know that there's different uh, connotations of the word arrested uh, in Brazilian Portuguese. Because, you know, language is always a reflection of the society. So it's, <laughs> it's, it suggests to me that, you know, that there's something going on there that's quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, but uh, when we say arrested uh, sometimes we can say like that you didn't actually go to jail mm -hmm. but you was like under uh, cops supervision okay let's right. say in a polite way mm -hmm. so what actually happened uh, I arrived at the Abidjan airport I didn't have my visa and then the airport authorities escorted me to a room uh, with a, 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 a police officer with mm -hmm. a machine gun Oh, like a real one? I didn't ask. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And so they confiscated my passport. And, well, they made me wait for a couple hours. And then we got to the talk when okay. I gave them a couple of bucks. And then I, okay. I was set free. Okay. Uh, Marcus also works on the Brazilian desk here at One Football. I should point this out. And he's also a, su a supporter of Palmeiras. <laughs> The, the green giant, as I'm now going to call them. Uh, so uh, why Palmeiras, Marcus? What, what got you behind them? Um, well, there is a very Brazilian thing that happens is that when your father supports a team, if you do not support the same team as your father, it's kind of a betrayal. Oh. <laughs> so I didn't have much of a choice, but... Uh, there is a long story. Uh, Palmeiras is uh, founded by Italian immigrants, and my family is of uh, is a family of Italian immigrants as well. Mm -hmm. So Palmeiras like uh, ran in the family. The only the only person that not that didn't support Palmeiras was my grandmother, and she was a Corinthians supporter. And oh. that was that was a huge betrayal in the family. <laughs> she was a renegade. Yes, yes, almost, yeah. So well, why was she why was she this is interesting. Why was she supporting Corinthians? Um you know, I never asked her to be honest because uh. um I was like a just a little boy and then I'd never like got to this serious conversation with her about it. Okay. So and then she passed away and I don't know the answer to be honest. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that uh during the the Sunday Sunday lunch family times that we had you know, Italian families, they always got together on Sunday and they had like pasta and all of that. 
it was a topic of discussion. I remember my, my ankles, they were like talking to my grandma, like, why are you cutting cheese and so on? But I never got the answer. Okay. Uh, so uh, as a youngster, are you going to the Palmeiras games or are you, are you watching them on TV or, or, or what's the, what's the yeah, setup there? No, what happened is that uh, I was born in Sao Paulo, um, that is Palmeiras City. But when I was a kid, my family, we moved to southern Brazil. So I basically I grew up outside of São Paulo. So I hardly got the chance to go to the stadium. Uh, when Palmeiras played in Curitiba, that was the city I was living in. Then my father and I and my brother we used it to go to the games, but not not always. I would say. So I, I grew up more watching them on TV. Okay, so for those who don't, you know, for those who don't know much about the club, um, you've already said they started as uh, as from Italian immigrants, but maybe you could give us uh, more of a history lesson. Yeah, on, sure. On it. Um, I I will try to go briefly because it's a long story. But uh, Palmeiras was founded in 1914 by Italian immigrants that arrived in São Paulo, and the first name of the team was actually Palestra Italia. And it was named Palestra Italia until 1942. That's when uh, Brazil joined uh, the Second World War, fighting against Italy. So then uh, the club needed to change its name. So then they decided to go for uh, Palestra de São Paulo, which means São Paulo Palestra. Mm-hmm. Was there political pressure to do that at the time? Or did they think, well, this is not a good look. <laughs> we no, should change it. it. No, it was totally a, a political pressure, actually, okay. because, well, Pomida, uh, Brazil was against um, Italy, Germany and Japan in the Second World War. So then we had a very tough government at the time and they pressured the team to change the name. But then they changed it to Palestra de São Paulo and it didn't work. Also because the government said that palestra is an Italian word, so they could not use this. So, uh, well, says the myth that the Palmeiras president at the time, he didn't know what to call the team. And we had some Palmeiras in front of the stadium. Palmeiras is one kind of tree that grow, that grows in Brazil. Oh. So we had some, some of this tree these trees in front of the stadium so then he says the myth that he just looked at the window and said okay so now we are going to be called palmeiras i don't know how true this is but (laughs) that's what we grow up hearing okay and that takes us that takes us up to the war and then after the war and then we've got to mention 1951 all right. Yeah. Before we arrive in 1951, it's oh, nice okay. to say that uh, when this happened, it happened. The the, the name change. I mean, it happened uh, during a state championship in Brazil. Uh, for those who doesn't know, the state championship. Like Brazil is a huge country. Right? We have like many states, hmm. and each I, state I think has... I think people know that one. Uh, okay. So <laughs> let's not explain this also because it's very confusing. But uh, when Palestra Italia. Uh, died, let's say, when the the team died, it was like a day before the final of the state championship. And Palmeiras was playing that final. So there is a saying that that says Palestra died the leader and Palmeiras was born the champion. Mm. Because then Palmeiras played the first game on the next day and won the game and became the state champion of uh, 1942 in Sao Paulo. 
that's a very interesting fact too. Okay. Uh, then we can go directly to 1951, as you said. Um, it's one of the most important years in Palmeiras history. Uh, by the time we had a championship that was called Copa Rio, that it was basically what we have today, that is the FIFA Clubs World Cup. But it was not under FIFA, of course, and it, the name was different, but it was basically the same thing. So Palmeiras played this championship in 1951. Uh, the final was against Juventus. Uh, we won, it was like um, two games, and we won the, the second game 4-2 against Juventus, and then Palmeiras won the Copa Rio. Uh, and since then, there is this huge, uh, how can we say this, uh, huge confusion in Brazil that uh, people say Palmeiras, does, uh, Palmeiras don't have a world championship, club's world championship. And believe it or not, the club world championship in Brazil is a huge thing. People really care about it. And it's the only country in the world where people really care about it. It's amazing. I, I think South America overall, because I know that uh, the Argentinians, they, they like it too. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, Brazilians and Argentinians, they're always counting who has more uh, world clubs championship. So, uh, and it's like the only championship that Palmeiras uh, don't have. So, the supporters of the other teams, they make fun of Palmeiras since today because of this. Uh, there was this confusion because in, in the beginning of the 2000s, I think 2000, I don't remember exactly the year. Uh, but FIFA went public and said Copa Rio was the club world championship of the time. Thus, Palmeiras is a uh, world champion. FIFA said that it was like on newspapers in Brazil. It was like a huge thing. And a couple of years later, FIFA went on public again and said, okay, we regret that's not true. <laughs> so there is this confusion. Um, the oh, they, is, they took it away? They took it away, yeah. <gasps> So, oh. the thing is, Palmeiras is the champion of Copa Rio. That's a fact and period. And then you can have some different interpretations on that. Uh, Palmeiras supporters, of course, they say that that was the, 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 the club, the world club championship at the time. Thus, Palmeiras is world champion. The, the rivals, of course, say the opposite. So, it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what happens then? What then? What then happens after fifty-one with the with the club? Uh, well, after fifty-one, we start one of the best times in our history. From fifty-eight until the seventies, we have what's called the academy. If you are talking about football in Brazil, and then you mention the academy. You were talking about Palmeiras from 58 until 70s. Uh, it's very, uh, it's very unique what happened in Palmeiras during this time, because we were one of the top clubs in Brazil in this period, and Palmeiras from uh, the, the Palmeiras Academy was the only team that could uh, beat Pelé Santos. So. It was huge. It was like probably the biggest game in Brazil in the time. It was Palmeiras against Santos. They were the 
the base, let's say, of the Brazil national team of the time. Mm-hmm. Like Brazil national team from the 60s and 70s, half of the team was from Palmeiras, the other half was from Santos, roughly speaking, of course. But they were like the, the huge things going on in Brazil. Uh, we won, uh, during this period, we won six times the Brazilian league, uh, other many state championships. So it was like one of the, the best moments of the the history what is surprising is that after right after this period in 1976 uh, Palmeiras stayed for 14 years without celebrating a title so Ooh, it's a long long time for a big club like that it was the biggest the biggest period in, in our history that we didn't celebrate a title it was from 77 until 93 so it was a long time. It was the darkest time in our history. We didn't celebrate anything. Uh, but then, uh, the it, 90, uh, was it during? Yeah, was it during this period that you adopted the pig as your mascot? It was. I quite don't remember exactly when it happened. But, mm. but why? At least maybe you can explain why the pig. It seems like an unusual choice. Yeah, there was a. So there was a, we have two mascots, let's say. We have um, in English, I think we call it parakeet. Is it correct? Yeah, I know like what I mean. Like the bird? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one is the pig. Uh, yeah, the pig was during the 80s, if, I, if I'm not wrong. Because I remember the, uh, the rivals, they used it to say uh, that Palmeiras had this uh, pig spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have this expression in English. Uh I feel and like Brazil is, a, Brazil is a completely different language when it comes to football. You invent all these sort of crazy things, but I've never quite heard pig spirit before. Yeah, uh, we say this in Brazil, not only in football, we, we say it overall. Uh, it's when someone is like a, like how can I say, like a bad person, you know? Mm-hmm. Then you say, oh, you have like the spirit of a pig. Oh. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know historically why it happened. But yeah, the the rivals, the the, the rival supporters, they use it to call they use it to say that Palmeiras had this uh, spirit of a pig. Uh, and then well Palmeiras supporters they decided to go on with it and uh, they decided to call themselves as the pigs and well then it stick it and that's until today uh, so I'm guessing that sort of 80s uh, that's the sort of almost like a lost decade for for Palmeiras right yeah yeah I think so um, uh, I think actually I, I was um, thinking here while, you, while you, you spoke what exactly happened is that uh, there was some kind of political decision to be made in Sao Paulo, uh, in Sao Paulo football. And we have uh, the top four clubs in Sao Paulo, right? Mm-hmm. Palmeiras, Corinthians, Sao Paulo and Santos. And then all the clubs, they wanted something, but Palmeiras was the only one that was going against. So then the other teams, they started calling Palmeiras with this uh, pig spirit, as I told you. Ah, because yeah, of this, yeah, like, yeah. oh, Palmeiras is such yeah. a, a, okay. a bad guy. So mm-hmm. it has such a uh, pig spirit. And then Pal- the Palmeiras supporters just went with it. And until today, it's what we call, and we don't mind anymore. So it's totally fine. But um, yeah, so the, you, you had that lost decade, you've moved on. But the, the 90s were, were quite good. You know, yeah. you, had, you had Scolari. The, the 90s, uh, 
is what we called the third academy. Remember I told you mm. the academy was like a big team in the 70s? Uh, we had the first academy in the 60s, the second academy in the 70s, and then we called the third academy in the 90s. It was a brilliant time for Palmeiras. We, the first title that we won after the Dark Ages, let's say, it was in 1993. It was a Paulista championship, the state championship against Corinthians. And we won, if I remember, something like 4-0 in the final. So it was a huge... It was Until today, it's one of the top three most important titles in Palmeiras history is this title from 1993. And then we won the, the Brazilian League uh, two times in a row. We won the Libertadores. Uh, we, we almost won the original FIFA Clubs World Cup against <laughs> Manchester United in 1999. Yeah, I remember, uh, yeah. I remember that because uh, the... Uh, was it in Tokyo or somewhere like that? It was in Tokyo, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, it was a crazy one. Yeah, and so the 90s were amazing. Uh, we won many titles. We had a partnership with Parmalati. It is the, the Italian brand. So they invested a lot of money in Palmeiras during the 90s. So we kind of he built he the team mm-hmm. back then. So we had many top players. Uh, again, we start, uh, Palmeiras started, started to be the, the base of the Brazilian national team in the 90s. We had players like Roberto Carlos, uh, Cafu, Rivaldo, um, many, many, many top players that mm-hmm. played in the 90s. Yeah, and then we go to the 2000s, and that's not the best of our time as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, 2002 was uh, one of the worst years ever. Uh, Palmeiras got relegated to the second division in the Brazilian league for the first time. Yeah, the first time because in 2012 it happened again. So Palmeiras got relegated twice. And it was together with these 14 years without celebrating a title. I think these are the horrendous moments in Palmeiras history. Um, are there any sort of interesting stories behind the crest or the or the club colours? <laughs> For those who don't, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a very beautiful shade of green. And you and I spent too much time uh, recently looking back at previous uh, Palmeiras jerseys. Yeah, the crest changed. Uh, I think four or five times uh, along history. It started uh, with the the Savoia uh, symbol, right? Mm-hmm. In 1914, uh, but then it went to Palestra Italia crest. And then they took out the name Palestra Italia and they left only the letter P. What what came in hand when they changed the name because Palmeiras started with a P as well. So they just uh, sticked with the letter P and then they just added the, the, the name later on. But the history of the, the crest doesn't have like anything too interesting behind. Oh, okay. It's only on the, the, the name that changed it. But, well, I think what is nice to say is that since 1959, we have the same, the same crest. It didn't change at all. So and that's unusual for a, for a club. It, it is, it is. I mean, they did just one change in 2012, but it's like so, um, so minor that you don't notice. They changed the the space between the lines inside the crest that so like you can't really notice. Okay. They just did this because uh, the the media that was publishing the, the the crest in Brazil they noticed that 
the, it wasn't being so good, so they decided to change. No, That's okay. all. Uh, who is the uh, who gets the sort of Javier Zanetti award for the most iconic player or or manager in the club's history? You know, that that one who really represents what the what the club is all about. Um, for a player, uh, we need to say that is Ademir Daguia. Uh, he played nine hundred matches. Nine hundred. Yeah, nine hundred for Palmeiras. Um, he was what we called like he was real real matches or like PlayStation matches. No, 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 nine hundred and one matches, to be precise. Uh, oh. Yeah, he was the number ten for the academy. His his nickname was um, Divino in English translates to divine. <laughs> so he was like spectacular. Uh, in Brazil, there is one ex- expression that we say a player that plays with a suit. Mm-hmm. He was this kind of player, um, very elegant playing. You know, uh, a tremendous player, like a number, a classic number ten. Nine hundred one games. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. He won, I think, the Brazilian league like five or six times. Uh, the state championship like a number of times as well. He is like he's the biggest idol in the in Palmeiras history. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, if you want to talk about recent players, then we can also say about Marcos, the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he was probably the best goalkeeper we ever had. Um, champion with Palmeiras a number of times. He won the the World Cup 2002 with uh, the Brazil national team as well as the the main keeper as mm-hmm. the number one. So. He was also in. He also played like quite a lot of, of, of matches. I think it was something like six hundred. Yeah, Marcos is one of those those kind of players like Totti. You know, he played only for Palmeiras his whole life. Right. So, and you've had a couple of other ones like Rivaldo's been there. Roberto Carlos, you mentioned Alex is there. Yeah. Gabriel Jesus comes from there. Yeah, we have like well, we always had very good players, and well, we didn't. Uh, they they didn't start playing for Palmeiras as youth players, but Palmeiras uh, bought them when when they were really young. So this is what happened with uh, Roberto Carlos Rivaldo. This is what happened. They didn't start as youth players for Palmeiras, mm-hmm. but Palmeiras bought them when they were really young. So then they they grew up in Palmeiras, let's say. And so where does the where does the club stand today? So today, um, as of October two thousand. 20, it's a little bit messy. Uh, Palmeiras is one of the top, is, is still one of the top clubs in Brazil. It's uh, the, the biggest national champion, as we say. Uh, Palmeiras won the, the National League 10 times and then three times the Cup and another time the, the, the Brazil Champions Cup. So we are the, the biggest national champions. The last time we won was uh, two years ago. 2018 with Scolari again mm-hmm. as the manager but today uh, uh, the politics in Palmeiras is a little bit complicated it has always been to be honest and the current uh, the current president he's lost uh, he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have a project let's say for the, for Palmeiras for Palmeiras football so we don't have a manager right now we had uh, Luxemburgo, yeah, mm, that one, yeah. And, until last month, uh, he got sacked 
I don't know, uh, to start with, I don't know why he got hired. <laughs> but of course, it didn't work well. So he got sacked last month. And now we don't have a manager. We are aiming for, for foreigners. Uh, we got some no's in the market already. Uh, and Palmeiras approached um, Miguel Ramirez from Independiente del Valle. Oh, okay. And he is doing an amazing, amazing work there. But he said he said that, that he wants to join Palmeiras. He likes the team, but he wants to do it uh, January to, uh, 2021. And Palmeiras really need a coach right now. So didn't work out. Uh, they are trying some names in South America. They try, uh, the last Barcelona coach was offered as well. Oh. Yes, yeah, Santien. But I think they are waiting. This name is a little bit, uh, well, it's not on its best, let's say. Mm-hmm. So if Palmeiras signed with Santiam, it would be a little bit of a negative press in Brazil right now. So I think they are waiting. Okay. They are trying some other names like uh, like Heinze from in Argentina, you know, the, mm-hmm. the former yeah, of course. left yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, let's see. Let's see how it goes. The team today is one of the top three teams in Brazil, together with Flamengo and Atlético Mineiro. They have, like, the biggest uh, squad, the, the, the best players, the best financial situation. But Palmeiras does not have a, a, a very good political structure right now. Okay, so you're, you're seventh in the table. I'm, I'm guessing the aim for the season is qualify for... I guess the Copa Libertadores? Yes, mm. I would say that. I would say that. I mean, right now, Palmeiras is in the middle of the table. So we are approaching the end of the first half of the championship. So uh, it's unlikely that Palmeiras will finish among the top three. It's really unlikely. Uh, if we finish among the top six, then we can go to next Copa Libertadores. And that's. I think that's a very fair goal for this season to be honest we are still playing Libertadores mm-hmm. um, so we have the round of 16 coming next uh, next week no the, the following one sorry and of course we can well, well it's a short term championship and well you know how it works maybe we can win Palmeiras has uh, it was very lucky in the draw so the path until the final is easy for Palmeiras oh then you'll definitely do it being very honest, uh, <laughs> you've, de- have, you've Delphine, right? Yeah, we have Delphine, mm-hmm. and then we have probably Olympia from Paraguay, and then if things go well in the same final, we have uh, River Plate, and that's the biggest uh, challenge. But then it's the same final already. Mm. Easy. So, it's, so congratulations! Yeah, it's not hard. It's yeah, not congratulations hard. on winning the Copa Libertadores, and. Uh, Best of luck with the rest of the season. Oh, thank you. Amazing. <laughs> without everything without a coach. <laughs> <laughs> easy, easy, Marcus. Uh, thank you very much, Marcus. No, that's my pleasure again. That's all from us today. My thanks to Boric, Angelina and Marcus. We'll be back next week. But should you miss us in the meantime, you can listen to the back catalogue on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so, podcast at onefootball.com.